And what you see is that Jesus is the seed of the woman as well as the seed of David. And he came to establish a new kingdom, one that lasts forever. And this is the kingdom, the home for your soul. Your soul longs for this at its deepest level. And that's why we need to come home and why Christmas is the celebration of us coming home because Christ has come to us to show us how to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you must do. It is not something you can bypass. It's not something you can opt out of. It's not something that you can uh, submit a uh, delay on. It is something that you have to do in your lifetime. Grow up and be strong. Grow up and be strong, and we want to help you do that by yes. teaching you to critically think for yourself so that you know what you believe and why you believe it. My name is Jess Mayer. I'll be the host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without a Salty Pastor, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. It's Christmas season. I'm so happy, and not just because it's Christmas, but it's just a time where we get to uh, share the most generous act in human history and that is is that when god came to us in jesus christ in order to save us save all people who come to him in faith and so it's just a wonderful time to celebrate that and all of the stuff that happens around it is is really incredible and you know one of the things that i love the most is the music i really love the music at christmas time it just brings back so many great memories for me so i'm excited about our new series coming home for christmas Ah, it's the time for Christmas celebration. I mean, you see it in uh, you see it all across everything, really, right? You walked in after Thanksgiving, and every store is playing Christmas hey, before music. Before Thanksgiving, Home Depot had their Christmas trees for sale. They had them ready. Well, that's because you had to have them ready to put up right after Thanksgiving. So I guess. Okay. The the. The market rush has begun at least, but um, we're also celebrating the reason for the season here at Foothills, which is Jesus. And I just love the general level of people really leaning into the Christian lifestyle, whether intentionally or not, during the Christmas season. Everyone's a little bit more generous. They're a little bit more focused on trying to be happier better people focused Mm -hmm. on something bigger than themselves and it's like you know if you took that and lived year round (laughs) you'd probably be a little happier it should be christmas all year it should be christmas all year yeah i will say that uh somebody i know does not like christmas music so if it was christmas music christmas all year and that music was playing all year she would probably lose her mind so uh, (laughs) she is on the opposite side of the spectrum of you pastor doug she does not enjoy christmas music (laughs) i do well i love the classic Christian music, not, you know, the updated stuff about reindeer and let it snow. And those are kind of perky and fun, but some you of like the, the best, yeah, some of the best hymns, some of the best, uh, ancient carols and even symphonies were written around the theme of, of Christmas and the whole point of Christ's coming and, you know, handles Messiah and, and, you know, it was written in that thematic way right. and so, some of the greatest hymnody of, of ancient times is written around the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of really, you know, great stuff around it. And that's what I like. I, I really like the really ancient old classic stuff. 
Ancient and old. Ancient and old, like me. <laughs> well, we are in our new series, yes. Come Home for Christmas, which is about two basic things. It appeals to our sense of home, uh, the sense that we had as children of being safe and yep. secure in home, um, and that we also have Jesus so that we could return home to our yeah. spiritual home, the place that we actually belong. So we're, we're yeah. kind of talking about both of those things, and, and Christmas is a great time to really dive into that, right? Yeah, and I mean, this is how, you know, the Gospels start with the birth of Christ, you know. Matthew starts, Luke starts, uh, Matthew, actually, Matthew actually starts with the whole point of how uh, the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, Baptist. kind of started. Yep. Uh, Luke kicks right off, and uh, the genealogy of Jesus doesn't start until chapter 3, but basically all the Gospels start with Jesus came as a son of God, John has such a unique perspective on the way he writes about it, mm. uh, which is really unique and, and wonderful and incredible. But I, I think we got to jump in right to chapter two of Luke and talk about, you know, the significance of starting with the birth of Christ in the gospel message across the board. In Luke chapter two, verse uh, 12, it says, in those days, um, I'm sorry, not verse, not verse 12, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, there's some really significant things that are happening here. First of all, we have Caesar Augustus. Now, his name was actually Octavius, and it became, or Octavian was how he was known. He was actually then changed his name to Caesar Augustus when he became the first emperor of Rome. He was the actual first emperor, meaning he was the first one who had complete authority over the entire empire. It, it went from a republic right. that had representatives, and then it went to basically an emperor who ruled over it. Made all the decisions. Made all no, the decisions, no yeah. And so... What's interesting about that is the transition in the Roman Empire happened under Julius Caesar, okay, who was his uncle, his great uncle, but okay. his uh, great uncle Julius Caesar did not have an heir, so he adopted Octavian as his heir apparent, and he's the one who came in and basically, through authoritarian reform, he basically took over all of Rome, uh, uh, Julius Caesar did. But one year into his reign, uh, other senators, Brutus and Crassius, uh, stabbed him to death with short swords in the Stor Senate building. A story well depicted in Shakespeare's. Yeah, <laughs> so over and over again. But what was interesting is that Julius Caesar had a massive impact um, on this, once they killed him, uh, Brutus and Cassius, there was a huge civil war and it went along for uh, over a decade, but Octavian won. And then he became the first emperor of Rome. And I believe that was in 27, 28 BC. So quite a chunk of time. And what he did is when he became the emperor, he took the name Caesar which was Julius Caesar. Right. And originally it was just a surname, you know, Julius Caesar. But then Caesar changed the, the, uh, the definition of the, the word changed to ruler, authoritarian right. ruler. And so he became Caesar Augustus. And so what's really fascinating about this is that Luke 
puts in very short couple of verses the entire historical context in which Jesus was born. Well, and I think it's interesting that it gives us a hysteri- a, a very specific historical point yeah. of mm-hmm. Jesus giving it basically truth, showing us that this actually happened. It's historical fact, right? Yeah, and it can be confirmed really quite it can easily. Be confirmed. So it's not yeah. just like a long... For example, a different story that is told often, Star Wars, a long, long time ago <laughs> in a faraway <laughs> land, that gives you no... It's it's obviously false because there's no... It's just a real, story. Yeah, it's just a story. There's yeah. no historical context or dates or facts or whatever. Yeah. And so it's like, this is saying, hey, this happened at this time. Go look it up. Yeah. It, it happened. Yeah, which is really... Uh, quite remarkable because the Romans kept very fastidious records and they were very uh, prolific writers. Mm-hmm. They loved to write. And it's really interesting because so much of Julius Caesar, what we know about him was actually penned by his own hand. Mm. You know, we have his own writings, his own journals, and we have all that. Even today, you can go back and read what he did. And a lot of it was about his military exploits. Right. And so uh, it's really quite amazing. So, But it also means... You know, not only is it based in historical fact, but it also points out that there's a lot going on that dominated life in the first century. You know, Mm. I mean, all the drama was happening in the Roman Empire. I mean, just prior to the birth of Jesus, you had this massive shift in governance from uh, a a representative republic. And you have to be really careful because it wasn't a representative republic like America where if you're a citizen, you get a vote. It wasn't like that at all. It was very hierarchical, and you had to be a member of the one of the founding families of Rome, and that was a big deal. And I think one of the things that, that people miss is that it was uh, an aristocracy representative republic. And what Julius Caesar did is he ended that and made it into a totalitarian, authoritarian uh, kind of form of government. Right. And uh, it's really interesting, though, is that part of the reason he did that is under his watch in his military exploits, he massively expanded the Roman Empire. Mm. You know, he uh, the Gaelic Wars and all this stuff. He's the one who first actually solidified most of, of what we consider central northern Europe, which is kind of Germany and part of France. And, and then he's actually the one who invaded Britain for the first time. And okay. this was before Christ was born, right? And... So it's really interesting. And, and what's fascinating about that is it wasn't until a thousand years later, a thousand years later, where you have the Danes or the Vikings coming and invading England, right? Right. And then you have all of that. That was kind of the birth in the foundation of the entire uh, monarchy in that form of rulership in England and that whole basis of trying to bring it all together. Right. That's a thousand years prior to that. Julius Caesar invaded, mm. you know, isn't that amazing? Thank anyway, you. it's a huge gap of time. It's a huge gap of time. People just, you know, we don't realize how massive so many things are happening. And, th- and God's perspective is in the midst of all this upheaval and turmoil and all these things going on. He comes and visits, right? He comes mm. to us, God with us, and he empties himself. Uh, I think what's fascinating is that, as Rome was growing and expanding so much, one of the things that they did is they had a census, right? It says this was the first empire-wide census 
under Caesar Augustus while Quirinius was uh, governor of Syria. Aren't, now, there, one of the, aren't there a lot of arguments that the census is yes. one of the issues? Well, that's Jesus one of the criticisms birth? about it is it says, look, the, Jesus, the birth of Jesus has to do nothing to do with the census. They believe that the reason why is because a, there's no record in Roman, you know, manuscripts of Augustus actually issuing a decree. However, this is a result of really shoddy investigation. Mm. Uh, Rome had a census every five years. It started under King Servius Tilius in 508 BC. So they've been started it a long time before 500 years before this or 480 years before this, they've been having a census every five years. What's really interesting is when, uh, King Tilius did it, the entire Roman empire consisted of about 80,000 men. That was it. You know, and then it's interesting as you can see it grow century after century after century. The Peloponnesian Wars, you see how we fought and they fought in kind of in North Africa and it grew up to about 250,000. All right. But then under Julius Caesar, it uh, it expanded to about 900,000. Right. Right before that. Uh, and then, so between when Julius Caesar started to really come into power and he was seeing, as, as a director of all the armies, yeah, it stuff. went from 900,000 to, and then to Augustus, that was about a 50 year period. So it goes from 900,000 in the census to 4 million. Oh my gosh. So it quadruples in size right? in a very short period of time, you know, it's like, and so what that means is that, uh, how do you account for all that? You have this massive expansion, you quadruple in size. And up to that point, the only way that you could register in the census is you had to travel to Rome. Mm. So you had to load up your donkey or cart and go to Rome, register every five years and then leave. Well, this obviously became impossible Impossible because the empire had expanded so wide. Yeah. You know, how do people in Northern Africa, you know, it takes a year to travel there. Right. You know, so what they did is they decided to launch what they're basically census takers. So they brought them to Rome. They uh, empowered them, gave them money and they gave them soldiers for protection. And then they sent them out to go take. And so these were the early ones. And the reason why they say it couldn't have anything to do with the birth of Jesus is because when Quirinius was a governor, uh, it happened exactly 37 years after the end of that civil war, which would put it in seven AD or six AD. But what they failed to realize is that Quirinius was a governor prior to this too. See, mm. he was a governor in Palestine. And prior to that, he was a governor in Syria. He was, he was farther up North. And so, so if you actually track it back, so if Quirinius became governor of Palestine in 6 AD at that particular time, then what happens is you go back five years for a census and you're in 1 AD. And at that time he wasn't, then you go back another five years, you're at 4 AD and this is where, uh, I'm sorry, 4 BC. That's right. And that's where most people believe that Jesus Christ was actually born was between three and five BC sometime. Okay. And they think it was maybe in the summertime. Okay. They're not quite sure. So, I mean, this basically is, again, what is typically happens when people try to raise arguments is they don't understand the context. Or Correct. They're cherry-picking something, and they go, yeah. Cherry-pick well, the facts. Yeah, they're like, hey, 
Crinius was the government there, so there's no way that this could yeah. be true. And it's like, yeah. no, you just got to read further. Yeah, you just you have to really know your material. Yeah, Crinius was appointed governor in 6 AD in a different region. That is true, but the one that Luke is referring to is the one that was probably in about 4, 5 okay. BC. So, I mean, one of the things I find really fascinating about the story of Jesus is that it's it's not a story, quote unquote, in the way we think of stories these days, where it's yeah. like, oh, it's a made up fictional tale. There's a lot of historical facts. It's very yeah. factually accurate. And even though it took place 2000 years ago, we have very specific historical records of the events confirmed by multiple sources, Yes, which is what you want with mm -hmm. your history. You don't want one person said, yeah. I saw this. And you're like, okay, my I'm cousin gonna, Ned I'm, told me I'm writing it into the history book because <laughs> cousin Ned said so. That's right. Well, I think there's a lot of significance in that. When someone is telling you there is a truth that will set you free, it must be more than just a myth or a narrative. And mm -hmm. and this is a real difficulty that so many young people have today is they want to believe something is true based on the essence of the narrative, right. the story. Does the story move me? Does the story resonate with me? what you don't, what the people who do this, this is postmodern ideology, what you don't realize is that you're actually making yourself the center of the universe. And I don't know about you or anybody else, the Bible is pretty specific on this. And that is, is that, you know, you're a wonderful creation of God, but because of sin, you can't trust yourself. You can't trust mm. your feelings. You can't trust everything you like i don't know about you but there's a lot of things that i really like that are not good for me absolutely and so that's part of what it means to be a human being so the 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 truth that sets us free has to be rooted in something more than just a really great story which this is it has to be uh, uh, rooted in a foundational truth immutable truth facts that can't be changed no matter right. how much you want to change them they don't really uh take into account how you feel about it it's just a fact it just is and it's so important to understand that as a person you have a soul and it is the wellspring of your life. If your soul is ill, if your soul is wounded, or if it's tainted, then your life is ill. Your life is wounded. Your life is tainted. And the birth of Jesus Christ is about God coming to us in a historical context, calling us back to himself, calling our souls to come back into communion with him, calling us home and while the entire roman world was focused on conquering and and uh, money and and accolades jesus came in the most humble way in order to do something that no one else was doing instead of trying to you know the romans were trying to conquer the world and subdue the world and expand their empire and take more slaves control more things show how awesome they were that they were always the victor jesus comes in this very humble way to call us back home mm -hmm. say hey it's time to come home and this truth resonated and what we see today is the fruit of that that truth how it resonated so much and changed the world well let's keep going with joseph and mary traveling to the city of Joseph's ancestral home, which was Bethlehem. Yeah. So there's well, a, a census called. They send out these census takers and say, yes. you need to go back to where where you came from yes. in order to be accounted for. What happens? Well, verse 4 says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth, 
uh, in Galilee to Judea. Now, what's really interesting is Nazareth, Nazareth is up around the Sea of Galilee. So when you look down on a map, we would say he's going down to Bethlehem because Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is just west of the Dead Sea, which is south of the Sea of Galilee. And what's the river that connects the Sea of Galilee with the Dead Sea? I'm a terrible it's the Jordan River. Person. Jordan River. Yeah, yes. the river that Jesus was baptized in. So, what's uh, significant about this is he actually went up because Nazareth is at a lower elevation, and Bethlehem is kind of up on a mountain. Okay. So you he they had to they had kind to of, hike. They had to hike, and it took quite some time. Now, it says here that he went there the town of David because he belonged to the line the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So we know that the child was born there. So she could have been probably eight months pregnant. And then she's taking this journey and it took them easily seven days of hiking every day to get there walking. And if they had a donkey that would have helped her, but still, it's a long journey, right? It's, it's over a hundred miles. And so that's a long way to go on foot. Now, this is significant is that, is that it shows how both Mary, the mother of Jesus and Joseph, his stepfather, both were descendants of the house of David. Mm. And this is critical in second Samuel chapter seven. This is the old Testament story with, uh, uh, King David, after he had moved into uh, Jerusalem and they started to construct and build the city of David. And at this point, David was living in his palace and he was really distraught that the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, was living in a tent outside the city walls. Right. He didn't like that. So he says, you know, how can I live here is how can I live here? How can I do this? And God's living out in a tent. And then of course, God comes back to the prophet Nathan. They have this big dialogue. And in the end, this is what Nathan says to him through the words of God, starting with verse 11. It says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. That is not referring to a physical house, right? He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, or another way of saying your seed. And I will establish his kingdom. Now, not David's kingdom, but this new kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So notice what he says there. He says, from your line, from your seed, your ancestral seed will come a new king and that king will build a house for my name, not your name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And you remember in the New Testament, what does Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world, world. but it is an eternal kingdom. He goes on to say, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. Here we see a reference to the, what is called the passion of the Christ. And right. that is what did Jesus commit wrong? No. But what happened is the... he took the wrong of the world on his shoulders and then he was beaten. And then in Isaiah, it says, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions. Mm. 
and by his wounds or his stripes, which is the stripes from flogging, we are healed. And so you see this imagery coming out very early on here. He says, my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. So what he's saying is Saul was the first king that he took his anointing away from. Right. And he's saying the anointing on Christ will never be taken away. He then goes on to say, I remove before you your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so the word is seed in there about household. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that we've talked about before, uh, God curses, right, Adam. And we've talked about that. He curses Eve. We've talked about that. But a lot of times we skip over the curse on Satan, right? And in it, you know, he curses him to be a snake and not, you know, you know, go around on his belly and eat dirt all day. That's also not a reference just to a snake, but that Satan is now locked into this material world. Right. Okay. That's why he's, he's called, Jesus calls him, he is the Lord or the God of this world. Okay. And what's really fascinating though, is in the, the further part of the curse against Satan, he says, I will therefore put enmity is verse 15 between you and the woman, which is really fascinating. And between your seed, meaning your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, even though you strike his heel. Then you fast forward thousands of years and you see the genealogy of Joseph in Matthew chapter one. And then you see the genealogy of Mary in Luke chapter three. And what you see is that Jesus is the seed of the woman as well as the seed of David. And he came to establish a new kingdom, one that lasts forever. And this is the kingdom, the home for your soul. Your soul longs for this at its deepest level. And that's why we need to come home and why Christmas is the celebration of us coming home because Christ has come to us to show us how to do that. I mean, there's so much in these few verses we, we, we pulled out of second Samuel. We looked at yes. Genesis. We, we looked in Matthew and Luke and Joseph took Mary and returned to his home, the place of his yes. ancestors. And in the same way, God is calling us to re return to the place of our ancestors, right? He mm -hmm. wants us to come home the place where we're meant to be in the presence of God, where we originally started before the fall, right? He mm -hmm. wants us back. This is where our souls will ultimately find rest. Mm -hmm. Now there's, in reading this story, you said it's about a hundred miles, yeah, it's 100 miles uphill. How long do you think it took them to walk that? I don't know that I've walked a hundred miles. Ever. <laughs> I can't say I've walked hundred miles. I yeah. will say I, these days I don't average a very quick mile, even when running. So, yeah. uh, what, what do we well, assume? If you're, it's gonna if you're take... traveling, you know, I mean, like when we would go backpacking and I was young, if you know, you're in the mountains and it's a little bit of a steeper climb than what they had. But I mean, if you could do 10 miles in a day, that was that was a very, that was for advanced backpackers. Right. And so I think one of the things that's important to understand is that, uh, it took them a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it easily took them, you know, if, if, if he had an eight month pregnant woman, it probably took him at least 10 days, maybe two weeks. And I think the significant part of that is there's a lesson for us that even though our souls long for home, and even though we answer the call of Jesus Christ and we want to return home and we become saved. It's still a journey. Mm. You know, we're in this journey period of when I've come to know, when you come to know Christ and then you continue to live, 
you're in a journey and there are ups and downs, there's heartache and pain, there's chaos and suffering. But in the end, ultimately, we know we're going home, you know, and and what's at home, you know? Well, family is home Mm. and it's the family of God. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter one that he adopted us into his family. We are his children, his heirs, his offspring. Because in verse six, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals, because there was no guest room for available for them. So nobody had any space for them. So they were staying in basically the barn. Mm. And uh, at least they were out of the elements that way with the other animals. So... In the end, what we see here is that just because we find the path to home, we still have to walk the path. And yeah. that's kind of what Celebration of Christmas is about. Is It's a time to give you uh, a wondrous picture of what home is like. And it's to enhance the generosity and the giving and connection that we have with family. Uh, there's so much great art and literature and music around this event. Mm. And so it, it's designed to try to pull out of us all of the wonderful things. Why? So that we can celebrate the beauty and wonder of going home. And, and that allows us to continue the journey even through the most difficult times of life. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor, for sharing this kickoff to our series, Coming yes. Home for Christmas. Excited to continue celebrating Christmas and talking about one of the greatest gifts we've ever received. And I'm excited to see what we talk about on Thursday in our application section. Yes. Until then, we hope that you guys are uh, joining our Advent series yes. that we are doing. Please join our yeah. Foothills Advent Digital. FH Advent. 2022. So FH Advent 2022. Got it. And you text it to 72,000 and you'll get devotions delivered yeah. daily to your phone yeah, uh, for 24 from, days for 24 days from the first to the 24th yes. from staff and congregation members who have who've wanted to share something about the birth of christ and how yes. that impacted their lives so thank you guys so much for joining us make sure you sign up for the advent series and we'll see you on thursday here on the salty pastor podcast blessings and merry christmas <laughs>